Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We bring you the very best recorded panels, workshops, and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and double exposure with their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 90, Fictional Cartography, recorded at Metatopia 2015, presented by Mark Richardson and Kenneth Height. This is Fictional Cartography. Uh, I am Mark Richardson of Green Hat Designs, uh, and this is... Kenneth Height, uh, tabletop role-playing game designer. I have a bachelor's degree in cartography, which I got at the instant that computer-assisted mapping replaced hand-drawn mapping. And having gotten a degree in a literally obsolescent field, I stopped doing it. So... Uh, I'm I'm familiar with maps. I use maps. I do rough maps for my own products a lot of times, and I am a nitpicky, horrible uh, designer when other people are doing maps for me because I know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. But um, uh, that is my credential. Uh, I did a BA in uh, Geographic Information Processing. I'm more kind of computer-savvy tech trained in using ArcGIS and modern mapping tools. And also and some 25 years younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> and for the last 15 years, I've been making uh, maps for the federal government in Canada, mostly dealing with species at risk and uh, protected areas. Uh, and I have uh, sort of applied those skills in the last couple of years to do maps for RPGs such as uh, Project Dark, uh, Urban Shadows, uh, I'm not forgetting some of the names, a bunch of different things. Um, so I've tried to figure out ways of applying sort of traditional cartographic skill sets into the RPG world. Um, yeah. yeah. So so real fast, uh, we did this same panel last year only with Hal Mangold. Yeah. So I guess this is a chance to sort of do an experiment and see if Hal was an improvement or a detriment. Um, so how many people were at this same panel last year? All right. Just Brian. Okay. Brian, prepare for boredom. Um, or, you know, be excited all over again. I'm not here to tell you your emotions. Um, yes. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know to what extent we're going to be covering the same thing because I don't know to what extent Mark has uh, been a grown-up and planned things. No, 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 not, yeah. not at all. But, so. uh, but since we're going to be answering a lot of the same questions, I think you're, you should decide where your love is. Okay, fantastic. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Brian, also, by the way, a uh, gifted uh, mapper and map demander in the uh, field. So, oh. all love to Brian Dollar. Uh, yeah, so, like, um, yeah, we, I don't have a big sort of plan or anything like that. Yeah. I just figured we'd kind of wade through some of the topics. And if, I am assuming if, if you're here, you have questions about it. So, that is, uh, you know, is, are people here uh, looking at putting maps in games that they're working on and trying to understand some of the information about that? Are you actually creating these things yourself? Um, what is kind of the vibe that people are looking at here? Are you a map maker or a designer primarily to put you in this Perspective. chair? Map makers? Yes. <laughs> sort of both. What? Just scribbling a map and saying, okay, please look this 
if you're if that's your notion, oh yeah, so as the GM. Yeah. Okay. As the GM, then you are a mapper, not a designer. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm in both. Okay, both. Okay, and primarily from the design space, or just the de- also the design space, whatever. Okay, all right. All right Looks so. like we have uh, uh, shy designers and aggressive map makers, which is backwards. Yeah. In oh, my whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a little strange. So, uh, I mean, the thing is with maps is like maps tell stories. They're really key instrument and tools. If you look at uh, like. Uh, Novels. I mean, you, the best example is probably something like Lord of the Rings, where there's a simple, really, really simple one-page map that summarizes the entire story. Um, maps can be uh, very detailed. Uh, they can be um, hardly any details at all. Um, the key, the key thing is, is you're you're trying to t- uh, you're trying to tell your audience very specific pieces of information. Um, the um, why don't we sort of, uh, I mean, broadly, right, uh, the job of the map is twofold, and those two jobs, like all two jobs everywhere, are in conflict. And the two jobs are to illustrate the world in the sense of show the feel, show what the world feels like on the ground, and also to locate points in space yeah. and provide sort of... Uh, uh, setting information, right? Yeah, and and I mean, I think when you're when you're designing, like from the perspective of a map designer, you can design things as a, uh, you know, I want to just create a world. Um, I feel that like in RPGs, one of the most important things is like you want to have some points of reference that people can use for certain things, especially if you are tying it into a game text about what's going on. You know, if everything in your game text talks about a big city, it better bloody be on the map. Um, but on the same note, you want to have a lot of stuff. Uh, you, a, a good map in RPGs has points of interest that are unnamed, that are become interesting because of what they are on the map, um, and that the players and the GMs who are looking at your maps go, "Hey, it'd be really there's like a fallen tower here with no label. You know, it's just, oh well, let's put the adventure there because that's like an idea. Like maps, uh, the information on a, on a map is as much like you know when you put story seeds in a paragraph of text." Um, oh, and this was the evil wizard that was at such and such. You do the same thing visually um, throughout, and you—I you, mean, it's—it's it's a really powerful tool that way. Uh, yeah, the notion uh, that a map is conveying story seeds, in addition to conveying story, is I think an important one yeah. to think about because in any good example of a role-playing game, even if you're illustrating, say the the sneaking rules, you would say. You know, a, a, a Vardian halfling uh, tries to sneak past a uh, aggressive Bulgard, and now it's like, well, I've got two more pieces of data about this world that I had last time. I know yeah. there's Vardian halflings, and I know that there are aggressive Bulgards. That's interesting now. And so those seeds are just dropping into to explain the sneak rules. You may never come back to them, but now you've got a free detail you didn't have to spend, you didn't have to bore anyone with. Yeah, right. I mean- and so a map can provide that same sort of information, but of course if you do too much of that, you clutter the map for its other purpose of locating important and, and, stuff And, and, and understanding text. what's going on. Like, um, a lot of times you're going to have like, your map is going to have a specific purpose. In an RPG, um, your maps are you know, like, the biggest thing is scale. Um, you know, it, how close to what's going on. And it's going to tell you a lot about what's happening. Um, you know, like, if you look, you can have a map that's like the, you know, a tavern, the insides of a tavern. It tells you what's going on. It's a map. It's more of a schematic. 
And at that scale, the information is very, this is going to be scene-specific information, this is maybe for a specific adventure, uh, that's it. Um, and then maybe you have the alleyway around the tavern and the nearby streets, and then that's like locating things that are going on. And so you have different kinds of information you're trying to show. And then as you pull away from this tavern, you then start seeing the neighborhoods of the city. Now, at this point, you can't see the, the specific information that maybe you had earlier, but you're showing different kinds of things. You're, now you see the names of all the streets. Well, that's going to give you a huge amount of flavor to the game. Um, you can tie that information to your text. Um, and then as you pull away, then the city... I mean, this sounds really simple, but it, it, it's very powerful in terms of what you're doing. Um, a lot of times people will try to map everything, and that's really kind of a mistake. You, you want to have, like, a specific goal in mind. You may have multiple maps. Uh, you, um, I, I mean, as you pull away, you see cities. I mean, eventually get to a point where this entire, the entire, I don't know, whatever the, like, uh, water deep becomes a dot, you know, at some point. So you, you can have, on a map, you know, like, it could be a poster map of the entire city, and then it turns into a dot, that's just like a footnote of where something is. And then you're seeing entire kingdoms, you're talking about geopolitical information, you're com conveying continuously as you, change, as you pull your scale out, your map is talking about an entirely different topic to your audience. Um, you, uh, as a designer, um, you need to figure out what you're trying to do, like what the goal of this is. A lot of times you your map is going to tell a story about what happened. So, for example, like if you're making a city and it's a really old city, you, you might want to figure out, well, how did the city expand? You know, there's a story to this, you know, and you can represent this visually in terms of, like, maybe it started out as, like, this tiny little village on, like, the corner of this river, and then uh, they walled it in because they were defending themselves, and then that, over time they eventually stopped giving a shit, and the wall, they blew out past the walls, but there is this old wall that maybe defines, like, the core of the old city. So, like, you can create this narration that occurs in your geological, ge geographic space, and even geological, too, depending how nerdy you want to get. You don't you follow, like, certain sort of, I guess, logical rules of things, that, like, you know, generally speaking, like, assuming uh, the rules of physics are normal in this place, which isn't necessarily the case, depending on RPGs, if you're doing science fiction worlds, I mean, generally speaking, you know, your rivers flow down, you know, and things like this, and uh, but not always. You know, you can have floating islands and who knows what. Um, you want to go from... Yeah. Um, I, I think that we don't want... I, I think we want to draw a, a, a boundary on the edge of our map here uh, and not talk about world building qual world building. Yeah. Right? Because that's not what we're really here to talk about. Um, obviously, if you're a good world builder, your map will be better just because it'll be a map of a sounder yeah. world. But that's a different question. Um I want to briefly touch on a couple of things that, if I recall correctly, we didn't talk about last time, so that Brian will regret leaving. Excellent. Um, and that's a great idea. Yeah. So. One, of the, one of the things, because also you can go online and find last times, um, but uh, the, uh, one of the things I want to talk to, because you've just done a, uh, some maps of the real world for Urban Shadows, right? Maps yeah. of various cities. And I want to, and we just did a lot of real world maps for Dracula Dossier. Mm -hmm. Maps of Romania, maps of Bucharest, maps of London, maps of, you know, all kind of places. So. I also just did a map of the moon. There you go. Um, and I want to hit a little bit about, given that you can go on Google Maps and have a more detailed and richer, usually, map of virtually anywhere in the modern world than you can provide in a role playing game book. 
what things do you put on a map in a role-playing game book? What did you look when you looked at doing a map of Miami for yeah. Urban Shadows? What made you say I'm putting this in? I'm not putting this in. What are the decisions you have to make as a mapper and also to an extent then as a designer in what goes on a map of the, of some part of the real world and whether yeah. that's our history? I mean. So ancient history, might, you might actually be conveying information because someone doesn't know how to find an ancient history map. But um, uh, if, you're, if you're just doing a map of Miami, why would you do that and what would you put on it? So, like, I think one of the things that happens is, like, if you're, uh, it, like, to use the comparison of Google Maps. So, the problem Google Maps has, like, it's very detailed, but that's just the problem, right? Like, you don't need all of this information. It is an information overload. Um, one of the things that happens, I think, like, it is... Uh, if you want to show a map of Miami as an example, like even Miami is a quite a large city. Uh, if you put Miami on a single six by nine page, it's pretty condensed. You, it, it, you, uh, at that point, what the cartographer is doing is figuring out the information that the game needs and making it work in that tiny space or big space, depending. But most of the time, you're not going past, let's like, say, letter size for an RPG, which means you can't, like, if you. Um, so if you load up Google Maps, you're gonna get like a you're gonna get the city at that scale, but you're gonna get you know the odd maybe major road, but you don't really need a major like if you most people uh, like with a so you don't need every single street, and what you get is gonna be kind of random on Google Maps. Um, but what you say want in a, in designing it for a game is you know so, so for Urban Shadows, it's really important that we had the neighborhoods. It's more important that we had the neighborhoods so that we could culturally identify with where these people where these people are from than the name of certain streets. So you would remove you, you in creating your own map, you remove the information that is superfluous or you know frankly, if you need a road map of Miami, like if you're running a game in Miami, you'll probably pick up a road map of Miami. But what you want is what is the key information that this game needs? Well, mm-hmm. Urban Shadows is all about people and you know, uh, uh, you know, werewolves and vampires and where they live in the city, and they are, they're going to identify with their different, the different regions and cultures of that city. So you want to identify those. So then you would you would a label them, but b you might also change the symbology so that there is a focus on these things. Um, one of the things you're also going to deal with uh, is um, uh, is color. The use of color and grayscale, gray like a lot of um, a lot of art, is done for RPGs in black and white. Um, a lot of maps in the real world are have heavy amounts of color use, but most RPGs are black and white, and so you have to like color is a hugely powerful tool in map design that a lot of times you take for granted. Uh, the first time I did Urban Shadows, it was really hard. I was like, suddenly I had to design a map and show differences between waters and rivers and things like this, and you start playing around with things. Like, I ended up doing, um, because I wanted to show emphasis on things, I actually made all the roads <coughs> white and made the background black and gray, and so that you sort of saw this, like, uh, I guess, uh, cutting of the, of the roads, because it wasn't as important information. You want to see the idea of the city. Um, that is things like that. I, um, with, I'm not sure what you guys did for Dracula. I haven't looked at Dracula Dossier yet. Uh, well, with Dracula Dossier, uh, part of it is that there's so much detail in the book mm-hmm. uh, and so many possible locations mentioned that just providing a physical location for the locations in the book, right? Providing a map that says here are the locations in Bucharest we've talked about. Here are the locations yeah. in Romania. And that you don't then have to go to a map of Romania yeah. and find everything 
every time. Yeah, like, I think the, the key thing is, like, so with Urban Shadows, it was more, like, show the cultural landmarks of the city. A lot of games, like, certainly, like, a, a game where you're dealing with, like, I don't know, spies and stuff like mm-hmm. that and military things, it's about strategic options and where things are. Like, if you have game text that talks about things and you have a map that is of whatever the hell you're talking about, the uh, you would want to go through your text and identify all the key points of interest because if you talk about it in the text, you want it to show up on the map so that people can see it um, and draw that same interpretation that you are having as a designer. And, and, the, and the job of that map then is to not so much uh, have a, a dot that is labeled, you know, um, uh, con- uh, um, uh, Karagorjevich International Airport. The job of that map is to put that dot somewhere where they say, well, that's practically near the epicenter of that earthquake. Yeah. Or that's where that meteorite hit. Yeah, and it's you... like right over the re- or the mountain. I'll bet you could put something right on that mountain between them, and that would be a story. Yeah. And, and so it presents relationships in a way that you can't say in the write-up for every single place. The reason this is interesting is because right down the road, there's this concentration camp. It's like, no, put the concentration camp on, put the castle on, and then people will say, oh, look how close they are. Yeah, and you can put... So what you can do is you can start with all the information, like maybe the text identifies like 15 places of interest. And then as the map maker, you can then add shit that either they envisioned and mm-hmm. just don't want to bother talking about. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not important to the text, but it gives you a creative space, as, you know, as you say. Like, you, like the castle has to be there and the concentration camp has to be there. But you get a lot of fun space in terms of placing the things that are in between. Also... You know, you're, you may be using the real world, but that doesn't mean you have to use all of the real world. You can manipulate it depending on what you're doing. Uh, in the design world, like you could take information and you could rip city streets out. If you're going farther into the future, you're adding stuff a lot of times. Um, I'm doing a cyberpunk game, uh, and uh, so I took like a map of Vancouver, and I then started, you know, creating road networks and ramming it in there because you know, 70 years in the future, it's going to be denser than it is now. Um, you can, um, yeah, so, I, and yeah, like, that's uh, a pretty key thing. Do people have questions? Because I'm thinking that one. I have a slight, I guess it's slightly on, slightly off topic, is um, how do you guys feel about using real cities in the real world for RPGs? I think that it is the uh, best idea you can possibly have. Really? Yeah. I've heard a lot of rebuttal from... Yeah, the- those people are wrong. Um, uh, the reason you start with Earth, in a, and this is world building, this is a, a total derail, but I'll just do it fast because it's important. It works. The reason you start with Earth is because people know and care about Earth. No one gives a shit about your imaginary world. And it's like, no, no, there's going to be 300 pages to explain to them my imaginary world. Now they care less. Now they're angry at your world. <laughs> they already have an opinion about India. They already have an opinion about Romania and sure. Bucharest and Vancouver. And they don't have an opinion on Coast City. Right? They don't give yeah. a shit. Maps are really powerful uh, from that perspective. Like, uh, a lot of people maybe have a bit of an idea of some of these places, but, I mean, uh, like, I find a lot of times, like, for example, like, uh, you know, I was making a map of Manhattan, and I was, like, then I was looking at information on how are... So there's how the map is, okay, and then there's how people look at that city. And these are really important things. So, for example, Manhattan Island is... Uh, was surveyed on a 29-degree axis, uh, it's it's a gridded city, but when they created it, it's on an even twenty. Uh, even it's twenty nine or yeah, I think it's twenty nine. It's either twenty nine or nineteen. Anyway, and it goes straight. It's the whole way through like that. If if you're local to New York, but you, this. So I've never been in New York, um, and so I'm reading about this. And I'm like, why the hell did they do this? 
Um, and you know they did it for a variety of reasons, including and it's actually aligned to the to the sun. You can do there's all sorts of there's like neat little story hooks that you're suddenly aware of of like you know there's uh, the Manhattan Hinge where the sun comes up and goes mm-hmm. down in the same the same yeah. axis that New York is on. But also this is the other thing, and this is the thing I'm getting at is no one in New York thinks of their place as on an axis. Every single map of that city is straight. Every single one. In their entire brain space, the city sits on an even grid with some faked up, fucked up north this way. Yeah. Yeah. And so the thing is, uh, subway maps are a great visualization tool for how we interpret our world. Um, And so you, so this is one of those things where like if I didn't look this up, I might just make New York like this, but it wouldn't make any sense. Like I showed an early version and people were like, what the hell? That's not New York. You know, and then I, I moved it this way, and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, that's New York." You know, um, it, like a very similar thing. Like I live in Ottawa, and we have a city. It's, it's a east-west axis, but there's a river that runs through it like this, and the whole city's this way. So you can like come off like going east on a highway, and you're suddenly going like southeast or southwest, and it just drives people nuts. But all of our maps, we you know shift the whole thing. Like your mental image of that city is different, um, and this is really important when you're when you're making maps and and, and designing that space. Um, bit of a tangent, but there we go. It's a panel. It's a great tangent because I, so I just moved to New York. Yeah. And so anytime I'm I pull up Google Maps to try and find my way around, I, I I see like Google Maps shows you know actual north, so the entire thing's slanted. I'm just like me. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And 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 so. The people have uh, really powerful mental maps. Um, uh, it's a very uh, like you know. Uh, so the the you know there's like Chicago old, is oriented correctly. So yeah. there's an old there's a, there's, there's an old there's an old geography thing where like you know you ask people to draw like the city that like we all live in the same if we all live in the same city and we I, I ask you to draw a map of the city that map is going to be based on your cultural landmarks and it will ever there will like you know generally we're going to have the right big roads in certain places but you'll have a lot of information where you know and then it's like mm, and then there's mechanicsville and then all this cool shit around the university that i live in you know um and so you can use that same kind of information when you're when you're building maps because you know you you're going to have a lot of information where everything's going on you know and you don't need it in the, in the middle places um uh, in terms of, um, you know, a lot of times people ask, like, you know, if I'm making a map, are there rules on, like, where I put lakes and rivers? To be honest, not really. Um, if you feel like sticking a lake in the middle of the continent, go ahead, you know. Um, uh, the, uh, I mean, I think the key thing with creating fake worlds is detail. Um, details make things real. Um, rough coastlines are more interesting than, you know, flat, barren coastlines, uh, instead of having a big forest, have modeled chunks of forest, like, the world we live in is rich, um, and there is, like, if you were to map, if you show every river and lake in the U- in the U.S., it is literally, there are so many rivers and lakes that you just, it's a wall of blue, you wouldn't even see a city, um, so you, you are constantly filtering information out, um, the mar- like uh, cartography is the art of you know manipulating the real world so you can understand it. I mean, the simplest, greatest example of this is you're driving down a highway, and uh, that highway right next to it is a power line, a rail line, and a river. Okay, if you look at a map, they are all separated by a few millimeters, so you can see them. But if you check the scale, maybe a millimeter is like 150 meters or something like that. 
So you're, the map is a, an interpretation. You're, it's a tool. So uh, you have to do that when you're even making maps in the fantasy world too. You know, I mean, you're you're not um, you're going to make generalizations and changes. Um, to yeah, things. yeah. I'm going to springboard from that point to my second uh, bad idea to leave Brian point <laughs> or question rather. Which is we we talked about you know mapping a real world uh, or our real world and those same principles apply basically to any uh, world that can be expressible in uh, a two dimensional plane. Yeah. Which modulo a few noodles with projections, uh, ours can. But I want to talk about things like a star map, which requires three dimensions to be realistic in that same sense, or a a map of the outer planes, or a map of time, or a map of something else that is intended to be used as a map to navigate you around the game world or the game yeah. universe, but cannot rely on what, you know, the crutch of geography, the way yeah, that, so, that a I map mean, of, maps, of Canada can. Like, at the end of the day, a map is, is, a, is a tool to show re- spatial relationships, okay? Um, or so, experiential relationship. Or experiential. It's, it's a thing that is showing a relationship, and there is a, a space between it, which we generally assume is distance, but in certain environments it could be time. Mm-hmm. It, um, that, for example, is like a subway map. Yeah, exactly. Like, So if you look at a subway map, scale's not really particularly relevant, um, nor is even the shape. Um, it's, it's the feel, it's like the structure, right? So um, I've actually seen things where you can, you can turn anything into a subway map, and it's really fucking cool when you do. Um, where you can take like information like the relationships of uh, hell, I'm trying to think the way, an example of this. Um, hell, like so, I've seen in my professional career, I've seen like uh, mapping of disease outbreaks, right? And and so uh, there is not just the locations of where it is, but it's how it's spread. So that could be totally relevant in some games, right? Like uh, you could have um, you know vampire outbreak patterns, or who knows what. You're um, you're you're, um, uh, you're sneaking back to the warm embrace of geography. I know. Okay. Hold so, you back. Okay, so um, with space, you have uh, like you have different constraints. Basically, um, you have to show you, you you're trying to show you're still showing the spatial relationship of things. Um, space is an interesting thing. Um, Rigel is nearer than Deneb. Yeah, and and also like space uh, adventures in space deal with points in space. Uh, it sounds kind of dumb when you think about it, but it, it's really important because no one has a space battle except in the world of Star Trek. No one has a space battle in nothing. You're having a space battle over something. You know, you two fleets don't just engage in the middle of fucking nowhere for no reason at all when they have light speed drives because they just go around each other to the, ma- the planet that is of importance. Um, I'm always kind of baffled when Starfleet ships have a big super battle in the middle of nothing. Um, well, they usually say it's in a system. They're yeah. just not right outside a yeah, planet exactly, or a star. Right? Um, so things you can show with space, you may, uh, you have to, in most cases, unless this map is in real time, you have to f- pick a moment and freeze it. Um, you might show in, in space because things are in movement. You might sh- want to show the solar system. Here's a planet. Here's the other planet. You may show paths that things fall, like orbital paths, because things are in movement in this place. Um, you and so these are th- pieces of information that you don't traditionally have in 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 in, in, in a geographic space. Uh, I, something that uh, I we've done in, or I've done in some things is uh, you know like you have like time increments. Uh, in space can be really abstract in a lot of RPGs in terms of 
well, how many light years is it and all that shit? So a lot of times you might have a, a different way is mapping the time it takes to get between places. Um, you conceptually do this in a lot of RPGs because most people care more about how many weeks of a ride it is to a city uh, than how many miles it is, especially like in a fake place. But you can apply that in a really fun way in, in space maps because you can, you can have a line between things and say, oh, this is a week. I don't have to tell you how far it is, you know? Um, so you're, uh, you know, and you might, uh, with, uh, I've done space maps where you can also make space maps that are more like flowcharts. So um, it is maybe, maybe the important thing in your story is the interconnectivity of these star systems. Uh, like maybe you're dealing with a world which is more like, say, uh, diaspora uh, or something like this where you have like wormholes and shit like this. So it's like fixed travel. So you're trying to show here's systems. Jump line relationships. Yeah, jump, you're trying to show jump line relationships and where it is, as in, it is important to show this because in your story, maybe you can only get to this planetary system by going around and coming back or something like that. Right. So you're showing like, in this case, like you don't even have to, like the distance between these places is irrelevant. Um, but what is it is relevant to showing how they're connected. So you actually end up making a flowchart. So you went out maybe to make a map of a star system, and you're basically making a line, like a, like if you flowchart it out, you can end up that can be more important in that place. Um, so you can kind of twist where you're going with that. Um, uh, you can do uh, you you can also like uh, for example with a science fiction game, like maybe you're making a space station map. Um, so. Well, your space station is cylindrical, so you make a, a rectangular map, and you say that this comes back, like this side of the map actually goes over onto right. this side. Um, I had a friend of mine who wanted me to make a map of a, um, a Mobius strip. I told him, I told him to fuck off. But um, um, he's like, my, my, uni my universe is a Mobius strip. I'm like, it's not something I'm mapping, you know. That Your was, universe that was is Jason. unmapped. That was Jason. I was like, I am not doing that. You, you can hire an artist, you know? You know, um, I literally only know the name of one of your friends, and that's why I would have predicted it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I would also say, like, I mean, also think it's speaking of illustration. So, there are uh, numerous different styles of cartography when it comes to RPGs. Functionally, I think they're sort of kind of two. Like, there, you're, you are, there are people like myself who are sort of, uh, I guess, classically trained at, in the field of cartography. I tend to make shit that looks real in the sense of uh, stuff that, like a map that came off a printing press or that you would buy in a store of the real world. Um, so my stuff is a bit more angular, um, a bit more like a topo sheet maybe. It doesn't mean I don't make fake shit up, um, but it's going to have that more look. Then you have people who are going to be more illustrators who have cartographic skills. So this would be people like Mike Schley, who do, uh, or Jared Blando, who do the maps that are in the D&D 5th edition and Pathfinder and stuff like that, where you're looking at um, a, an artful visualization of this. So you end up with, a, you know, details that you're never going to get. Uh, like, I'm never going to draw a house. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And if you want a map that a has, like, sense. fantasy look of, like, drawing houses and stuff like that, hire an illustrator who's familiar with some cartographic principles. Um, don't hire someone like myself. And I mean, that's like, so I, I, the work that I generally do is things like, yeah, like Dracula dossier would be the kind of thing I would get in on. Um, or, um, you know, like if somebody wanted me to make, say, a map of pirates or something like that, I'll give you a fairly realistic what maybe the Caribbean looked like in 1775, you know, but if you want, um, 
I don't know, like crazy mountains and shit, like like drawn all sorts of shit. I'm like, I'm not the person to do that. But you have different. I mean, that's art design and and and, and deciding what you want in your thing. And, and obviously, there's software programs that will give you a little more. Exactly. If you want. Um, there's a lot of different tools you can use. Um, if you're looking to just sort of make simple things for yourself, um, there's a lot of cool, neat tools like uh, Pro Fantasy is a really good line of things that give you tools where you don't have to be. Uh, an illustrator, and you can end up with things that are, are really, you know, a bit more arty. Um, uh, you can, uh, like, ArcGIS, which is the suite of tools I use, is not cheap. Uh, my core license of ArcGIS, and I have the cheap license, was $2,600, uh, with a 1,000-year year maintenance license, and people bitch about Adobe. Um, uh, I also have an Adobe license, which basically sucks together. So, um, you know, it, and, and that's the thing. There's a lot of interplay between uh, these tools. Like, uh, like uh, anyone who's into illustration, you'll find that you move your, you, you know, you make things in vector. You make things in vector. You move it through raster spaces and things like that. So, familiarity with a lot of different tools. Uh, like all the people, like Mike Schley and all of them, uh, they do most of their work in Photoshop. Um, so it's a, it is because a, they're doing it, an illustration. Because, because they're doing an il- illustration. Um, whereas the work, like in traditional mapping software, is usually in vector. Um, it is kind of closer to like an Illustrator environment. Um, there's also uh, raster stuff. I'm, I'm getting way into the weeds of that, but there's not much point getting into. Okay, that. we've got about 20 minutes left in the panel, so, so let's questions? get to questions. Which you right there. So, so those programs, will they help you, like, more realistically lay Yeah, so you can get, uh, like, the, yeah, I'm a... I use Photoshop. Okay. Yeah, but it's the other one. So, like, as an example, though, like, you can, uh, there are some freewares of, like, Arc Explorer and stuff like that that you can crack open geospatial information and look at it. Um, a lot of geospatial information can easily be exported into Adobe Illustrator. So, like, if you're making a map of Chicago and you're working in Illustrator and Photoshop, you can probably go to the city of Chicago, download a shape, uh, what would be a shape file of the street network of Chicago. Um, it's all Creative Commons stuff, especially in the U.S. In the U.S. especially, uh, the, ex- the access to geospatial information will vary highly based on the government you are dealing with. Um, uh, if you're dealing with a primitive, repressive country like Britain, obviously. It varies. Uh, a lot of... So some countries like um, uh, Canada's a little late on the open data. Um, it's a lot... In Canada, for example, it's real easy to get information at the city level. It's fairly easy to get information at the country level. And it's a pain in the ass to pry information <coughs> from the state level. Um, in the U.S., you can generally get a lot of stuff for free. Uh, very easy. There's very good standing policies. Uh, one of the coolest places that I've been doing a lot of fun, sh- not well shopping, but browsing is NASA. You, if you're doing science fiction shit, like you can download like uh, imagery from everything they've ever done. So you just grab that, put it into whatever you're doing. Like I did an adventure. Uh, I did an aliens adventure that was taking on a planet. I took like a high resolution moon crater, and then I put that into Illustrator as the base. And then drew my shit on top of it, you know. Um, steal from existing resources. Uh, you can um, 
uh, you can like so yeah you can download road networks and use those road networks why why redraw thousands and thousands of roads you're making a fake city grab Chicago grab the roads out of it plunk it into what you're doing copy and paste move it around and you've saved yourself an insane amount of work and it looks real um, I for example um, the dirty secret of Project Dark I actually geospatially I I, I did it inside ArcGIS and I located it over the city of Chicago because I was trying to communicate to my client uh, how big something was because I was working with Will Mm -hmm. and I was like this is the city of Chicago this is your map this is your city this is how they are about this is the same size so like you can see the the rivers and the the buildings Mm -hmm. And, and I literally ripped out the footprints of city of Chicago buildings and use that as, as some of the building blocks for building the city. Because it's just square shapes and rectangles and things like that. There are various tools in Photoshop and things like that where you can do like manipulations and like random patterns and stuff like that. Um, the Some of the best resources for people, uh, Fantastic Maps, um, uh, really amazing guy, and he does a lot of online tutorial stuff with, with uh, Photoshop and sort of techniques and stuff like this that you can apply in a complicated environment for doing something at a really high-end level, and you can also just as easily go, I want to sketch this out for my D&D game. Like, he'll talk, he'll be like, this is how you draw a mountain. Here are the following five steps. I need to watch, I want to read more of it because I, I want to get more into illustration of maps, because especially in the RPG world, that uh, there's a that's really what they want to do. Um, yeah, so steal from established content. Make sure that you're allowed to, um, or at least give credit where it, where it is due. It, it varies on where you where you are. Um, uh, there's a lot of uh, resources you can go. Like um, I can't. I have a shit ton of links. So if you get in touch with me at Slaves to the Hat on, on on Twitter, and you like hit me up with like, hey, where can I get like data on this? Like I have a gigantic thing of web links on where to get shit from obscure places. At slave to the hat on Twitter. At slave to the hat. Yeah. On Twitter. All right. Do we have another question? Yeah. What are some of the pitfalls and challenges of creating underwater maps? Underwater races. Uh. Okay. Um. I. To to some extent, you have the danger of dimensionality that we had with um space maps because. Underwater, there's no reason you can't have something up on the continental shelf and then something down in the deep abyss, or you might have something that's floating at a given thermocline level. And now it's harder to map that in relationship. So you might want to begin by thinking there's going to be an icosahedral view of your of your area, <laughs> just so that people know rough depths as well as the old-fashioned look right down on it. Where is everything? Yeah, like you could, you, you might use, you might in a in a situation of like either science fiction or fantasy, yeah, like have a like have something like a, like literally a cross section. You know, I mean, this is the things that actually get done in in modern maps. I mean, admittedly, in some modern stuff, there's a lot of really cool 3D shit you can get away with. Um, in underwater stuff, I haven't really done a lot. I do a lot of bathymetric stuff at work, um, and it's a lot of manipulating information and the. With uh, at least undersea shit, uh, it, there's really terrible. There's a really crappy information for undersea stuff. There's not a lot. There's, uh, you know, when they say we haven't mapped that much of the undersea, it's true. Um, it's a it, it, it's a crapshoot for information. But again, at the at the level of detail you're probably using, you can fake it. Oh, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. Put a mountain underneath the water. Done. Um, uh, just say it's underwater. You know. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the specific challenge is going to be uh, varying depths, and then the 
challenge. I mean, if you're actually saying this game takes place on the Abyssal Seamount in the middle of the North Atlantic, and I want a map of the Abyssal Seamount, National Geographic will sell you a very large, yeah. you know, um, uh, uh, zoom out view of it. But no one in the world, including the Soviet Navy, has an actual map of the fucking thing. So yeah. just go ahead and make it up. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't, um, you know, at that point, you're just drawing for fun and, and you know, no one's going to call you on it, you know. Um, unless you get some weird sea captain in your audience, but. No, he, he still won't know. He's still a liar. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. So I mean, it can be harder to do that depending on again grayscale. Really, yeah. remo- uh, removes a lot of your options. Yeah. Some things are very color dependent, um, and you you know that's I mean a great thing when you have it. Um, like in my day job, I generally assume I have color. Um, color comes with uh, its own other problems. Color blindness is a very real thing when you're doing map design, and it's actually much more crucial in map design a lot of times because you're dealing with uh, thin, a lot of line work, a lot of symbology, and a lot of um, overlapping colors. A really cool tool is uh, you can go to a website called Keller Brewer. Um, this is really handy basically if you're an illustrator or a map designer, and you can uh, say, you can specify uh, whether you want a scale of colors that are uh, uh, like going up in a certain way, or whether they work against each other, and you put in specifications. Um, and it would like how many categories of color you have. Like so, there's five classes. Let's say you put that information in, and it will give you um, uh, an array of colors with all of their values in all of the different softwares. You can even download Adobe files from it directly, um, and you can pick with like a checkbox. I want it to be color blindness work. I want this to work with people with color blindness. I want this to work with uh, a laptop. I want this to work on a photocopy. So it'll, it'll go through and give you different color ranges for what you want to do. It's a great way if you, like in a lot of maps, where you're like, I have five colors to work with. So you, you click something through and it gives you some options right away that you can like, okay, this will work. There's also some really neat tools you can get online of um, like uh, uh, image stuff that will show you what your, your computer screen looks like to people with color blindness of varying types. So you can look at it and go, can I see the difference in... Uh, various things. You know, like red, green, blue is a great way of showing shit, but uh, some people in your audience won't see anything. And also, one thing that I've seen happen is you'll get a book where the book maps are black and Yeah, so like if I, like what I did with Urban Shadows is I didn't make a color product at all. Like I made, from, from the ground up, I said, yeah, I, I have zero to a hundred black and that is it. Um, and it made it much easier because as a map, I'm like, if it can work black and white, you know, it's going to work. It'll, well, it'll just work, right? I mean, uh, the, a lot of things are created in color. Um, you know, especially if you get things like um, uh, big poster maps that are done. You know, you're obviously working in a color space, and then they put it in the book, and it winds up black, black and white. No one can see shit. Um, and yeah, that's the thing you have to think about. And especially as a designer, if you ask somebody to make this cool ass poster for you, it's a separate process for them. It's not just a simple, you know, 
Um, like if you if like we have illustrators and you have they make something in color, you don't just want them to give you a straight black and white version. That you want them to tweak it a bit. Yeah, so you don't want to pop it into grayscale. Yeah, because it'll 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 look like shit. The emphasis won't be where it needs right. to be. They'll be washed out, and the relationship will be different. historically accurate you wish to be. Um, uh, so, for example, I did a project, uh, King Wen's Tower, for Emily Care Boss, and it was the sort of uh, the beginning of the Chinese dynasties. Um, the interesting thing is uh, there's not a lot of maps of that time period. Um, eventually, I managed to find some stuff through Harvard uh, where they had done some research. And so this is like 230 BCE, you know. Um, so it's like projections of what maybe the coastline was, where the different walls were, and where these sort of countries were. And what I actually did is I took uh, modern hill shading of China, uh, because the mountains haven't really moved in the last 2,000 years. Um, geologically, they've moved over a long period of time, but in human lifetime, not much. And then roughly interpreted where some of these boundaries might have been. Um, and it was important to us at that project that it... it uh, it was reasonably accurate to the to history. Um, it can be, uh, if you want to be historically accurate with maps, it can be really tricky and, uh, frankly, really expensive work um, because a lot of that information uh, is not free or it's done by research institutions um, and acquiring it from them you know, may require a bit of tug and pull. But again, the, uh, the redrafting of that map to... Uh to take the same information but make it a, a, a not a theft of the yeah. map will then give you a discipline and an incentive to make sure that the only stuff you transfer is the stuff that's important for your game. Yeah, so like I looked at the, the China maps that were produced by Harvard and then I just redrew my boundaries based on yeah. I like looked at it and I'm like I'm like all right, you know, I mean it's color blobs and lines and stuff. So yeah, there's a, a there's a degree of well, we're not going to worry about everything. Um, but we also want to get it vaguely right, you know. And um, I will, and I'll say in this space because I've been a historical map enthusiast since mm-hmm. forever. I've got walls of historical atlases at home. Um, the amount of information that it, that is not only available but is available online is, is just uh, orders of magnitude more than it was five years ago. Orders of magnitude more than that was ten years ago. It just keeps going up, and so. If you're thinking, well, I can just make up what um, uh, Poland looked like during the Dark Ages. No one wow. can check me. They can check you now. A really so good, it's uh, worth yeah. There's a taking couple. A there's a couple of universities that have really good databases. The one of the best databases for historical maps is a thing called David Rumsfeld. Uh, I think it's like just David. Anyway, Google David Rumsfeld maps, and uh, it is an online database of thousands and thousands of historical maps for cities. Uh, it's geo-searchable, so you can, so like, and this is the thing, so if you get a, I mean, uh, this is what I do, like, if, if I'm going to make a city of some, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like, uh, when somebody says, you know, it's like London meets Constantinople in 1800s, 
well, go download a map of London and Constantinople in eighteen hundred. I mean, that said, That's research tools. That said, um, you're talking to two guys who really like looking at maps of history. Yeah. Um, if you remember Mass of Nyarlathotep, the greatest role-playing campaign ever done, uh, there are uh, five major locations in it: Cairo, London, Hong Kong, Nairobi, and New York. One of those locations, they couldn't find a map of what it was in the 1920s. It's Nairobi. So they just sort of winged it. winged it. They drew what they thought Nairobi might have looked like. They made sure that it fed the story the way they wanted to feel it. It mapped whatever terrible railroad map they had at the time, but had no detail on it. And they said, Nairobi, and then there's a little parenthesis that says fictive, mm-hmm. right, at the bottom. And that's it. And, you know, I ran that campaign. Nairobi did not play worse because I knew the map was made up. But that said, if you don't have to make it up, Go ahead and look it up because you might find something in that old map that sparks your creative energy as a designer, right? If you go and you look at that place and now we have the map of Nairobi and it's like, wow, look at that, um, uh, the, the garrisons all the way over here. Yeah, the, the, That's an odd place to put it. The, the, and, you know, here's the mountainside. Yeah. If, if, if there's a sacrifice on the mountain, that the army can't get there in time. And now you've got an idea. You're thinking, I'm going to put that into the story of the, of the scenario. The, so looking at the, at the historical details can constrain your story in an interesting way in the same way that a poetic form constrains your language in an interesting way, which is why a sonnet is more interesting than just 14 random lines of poetry. The real world is the best influence for your work. Um, if you're making a map of a place that, it, like a city in the mountains, go look at Google imagery of mountains from around the world. It'll give you a sense of the structures that seem to make sense to you, and then you can, you know, it's a great place. Like, look at coastlines if you're doing a lot of, you're making a Pirates of the Caribbean game. For the love of God, pull out old maps of the Caribbean, you know. Um, see what they look like, see how the cities are designed. Uh, the, you know, you don't have to, you know, like it's not a copy and paste thing. It's like the, the structure of London is a really fascinating structure of a city. Um, and it looks no different, like it's different than any other city, you know. Um, and you can represent that look and give that flair of London, you know, in a, in a fictional world, you know. Um, and people will gravitate to that because it's familiar to them, you know. Um, and, uh, I mean, that's a really powerful thing. Um, we have time for one more question. And it can be just an okay question. It doesn't have to be a good one. So, Matt, you have no good questions, so... No, anyway, no, no, you... you, you yeah. I know in a lot of historical maps before cartography was really accurate and a science, uh, like a medieval map might look completely insane to us nowadays. Mm-hmm. I was wondering about in, say, a medieval setting, medieval fantasy setting, having maps that are inaccurate and you tell your players that are inaccurate and have them be like in-universe maps that kind of depict how people look at things but aren't really accurate to how they actually are. I, I'm wondering if that a trade-off that's worth making, or should it be well, lying with lying with maps is, a, is an art. Um, we've been doing it for hundreds of years. We propaganda maps, all sorts of things. Um, uh, just even the way we do spatial projections, and it make uh, you know it makes us look infinitely bigger than everybody else. Like you can stuff uh, all of the U.S. Uh, <laughs> millions and a whole ton of other countries into Africa, but every map makes it look like yeah, I mean, like you basically take all of the U.S. and you're like plunk. All right, now we've got to put some other things in Africa to fill that space up because it's that big. Um, you can um, you can totally do, like, have fake maps. You can have multiple versions of the same thing. Uh, you might have 
you might make a map that's like this is the you know what the players know and this is what the real world is. Um, you, uh, I think like maps in games are usually less about we're actually lying to you, more like because you want to know as a DM where shit actually is. Uh, but you might have a handout or something like that. There'd be dragons there, and the GM knows exactly what's there. I, I, I would say that um, because I did exactly that in my third edition game uh, when I ran it, I did a map of Lotharingia and Europe as a medieval map, and I gave it to the players. And I said, "This is your map. This is what you have. Yeah. You're a wizard. You have a you have a map. This is the information you have. It might not be accurate." And then I had a real, honest to god map of Central Europe that I used as the campaign map. Um, and I think you could do that productively in a game where if there's a player's section and a GM section, player section has one map, GM section has a map of the exact same territory with different or at least more information in the same way that the GM's map says, this is the Lich Castle. And the player's uh, map just says, oh, look, there's a tower with no yeah. label on it. I wonder what's there. I've actually, because I'm a big map nerd, I, I've done maps as play tools for games. I was insane. I did a... I did a I did a my own hack of Fallout, and I made a map of my hometown as a desolate wasteland, and I gave that to the players. And then I had the exact same thing that I gridded it over. It was just and, buying a map of yeah. Ottawa and writing desolate wasteland yeah. on it. I mean, and it I wasn't just that gridded hard. the shit out of it, and I every every square I created encounters and stuff like that. So the players, as they moved through the landscape, much like playing Fallout, you hit encounter points. You yep. know. Um, anyway, that's about all our time. I hope people enjoyed it. Um, you can get last year's panel, if you're curious, uh, the, the Design design and Panel Podcast. With Jason, Design and Games, I thought? Yeah, I can't remember. It's yeah. uh, Jason Pitt, uh, and he uh, he's he'll have probably this up there. I guess. Eventually, I don't, eventually, I don't know. Someone probably will, because last year's eventually came up, and we all loved it. So thanks very much for coming out. Have a good time. I have cards of yours.